You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. We're going to finish up our series we started a few weeks ago called Ready, Set, God. And the premise of the series has been is that when you kind of go through difficult or challenging times in your life, and again, we all experience this. I mean, there just are times uh, where you kind of just begin to feel in the midst of that that maybe God is kind of uncooperative, he's inattentive, maybe he's absent, or he's just silent. Um, When you go through tough times like that, We've kind of talked about that. You don't have to lose your faith. In fact, it's, it's a perfect time for your faith to grow. And so far we've looked at John the Baptist. Last week we looked at the Apostle Paul. And again, we've talked about clearly these were men that God passionately loved. He knew their names. He was intimately aware of their circumstances. And yet we discovered John the Baptist remained in prison and eventually was beheaded. And, John, and God did not remove the thorn from the flesh of the Apostle Paul, but rather he discovered that God's grace was more than sufficient for what he was dealing with. And again, we talked about it may have been tempting at those times in the lives of those men in those circumstances where God wasn't doing what they thought God could or should be doing or what they had seen God doing for others and therefore be tempted to think God is uncooperative, inattentive, God is absent or silent. Today we're going to look at a family in John 11, beginning with the first verse. It says, now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. Now Bethany is just a few miles from Jerusalem. And then interestingly, in verse 2, the writer John, he kind of gives us this parenthetical explanation. It may not mean a lot to us, but I'll tell you what, it meant a lot to the people who heard this story for the first time. And there John writes this Mary, because there were so many people named Mary uh, in the Bible in those days. And it says, this Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. Now, when first century people would read that, they went like, wow, oh, that Mary Because everyone knew the story about the perfume being dumped on Jesus' feet. So that kind of helped some people there in the first century know which Mary they're talking about. Verse 3, so the sisters sent word to Jesus. Now at this time, Jesus is about a, a day and a half's journey away, so he's not that far. Mary and Martha sent word to Jesus through one of the servants, and here's the word they sent. Verse 3, Lord, the one you love is sick. There it is. They don't even use his name. They assume Jesus will know exactly who they're talking about, Jesus. We know you love this sick one. And because you love this one, we know you would want to know he's sick, so you will come and heal him. I mean, how would you like to be known as the one that Jesus loves? He doesn't know your name. Everybody just knows, oh, there's the one that Jesus loves. So we know Jesus loved him. We know Jesus knew his name. And now Jesus becomes aware of his situation, his circumstance. He is sick. Verse 4, when Jesus heard this, he said, this sickness will not end in death. 
And then amazingly, Jesus creates this brand new category, this new theology. He begins to introduce a new way of understanding how God works. And Jesus says, no, it is for the glory of God so that God's son may be glorified through it. You realize God allows some things to come into our lives as we're gonna see as the story unfolds in order for God to get the glory from it. Now again, God doesn't need sickness in order to be glorified, but praise God, he can use sickness in order to bring glory to himself. As a matter of fact, as the story goes on, you will see that God is not glorified in the sickness. What brings God glory is healing. If you go through many of the healing miracles of Jesus, you'll find God is glorified after healing has taken place, not before. You never read where Jesus encounters sickness and everybody's glorifying God. It is after Jesus would heal the sickness, drive out the disease, then people would begin to shout and, and give God the glory. So it's not the sickness itself that God gets the glory from. Then in verse five, John feels the need to remind us of one very interesting fact. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Now stop and ask yourself, why are you telling us that, John? And here's what John would tell you, because you are not going to believe what happens next. In fact, based on what happens next, you're going to be tempted to think Jesus didn't love Lazarus, didn't love Mary, and didn't love Martha. So before I tell you what happens next, I just got to tell you, I got to let you know that Jesus, he just didn't know them, he didn't just like them, but Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. It's like John's going, okay, you got that? I mean, you understand that. You got to remember that because you're not going to believe it based on what happens next. Verse 6, so when Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. Wait, 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 John. Uh, you just told us that Jesus loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus. I mean, even if Jesus didn't love Lazarus, but just loved Mary and Martha, and they would come to you and say, hey, Jesus, they need your help. Would you help them out? Surely, Jesus, you would go to help them. Even if he, even if he didn't love Mary and Martha and just loved Lazarus, surely when Jesus finds out Lazarus is sick, he's gonna get up and go to him. It's not what Jesus does. He finds out Lazarus is sick, and he decides he's going to wait for two days. Following the two days, verse 7 says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Let us get up and go back to Judea. After two days, in other words, the disciples are there, the messenger shows up and says, Hey, Jesus, the one you love is sick. Mary and Martha want you to come and heal him. You know, and you can see the disciples are starting to gather their things together, and they're like, well, I guess we're going to Bethany, and Jesus looks at him and says, have a seat, we're not going anywhere. And then two days later, Jesus says, hey, 
Get your stuff together, get up. We're going back to Judea. Let's head back toward Bethany. And I'm sure by now the disciples are completely confused. They have no idea what Jesus is doing. In verse eight, the disciples respond, but Rabbi, teacher, they said, a short while ago, as if Jesus would not remember this, he said, the Jews tried to stone you, and you're going back? Now, I can assure you this had way more to do with the disciples and their safety than it did Jesus and his safety. Because the disciples realized if the Jews are going to try stoning Jesus, they may miss and hit them. So let's try talking Jesus out of this plan. Then, you know, Jesus does what Jesus usually does. He just says something completely out of left field. Verse 9, Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Like you and me, the disciples are probably looking at him and they're kind of going, huh? Well, what's this got to do with Lazarus? What's this got to do with Bethany? What's this got to do with the Jews trying to stone you? What are you talking about? I mean, this is, this is what Jesus would do. In the midst of confusion, Jesus would take the opportunity and do a little teaching. He said, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Those who walk in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It's when people walk at night that they stumble, for they have no light. We kind of gloss over this and just want to get back into the drama of what's happening with Mary, Lazarus, and Martha What Jesus is saying here is so important. He's saying there are 12 hours of daylight. And what he's talking about there is he's talking about opportunity. Meaning that half a day when the sun is up, there is an opportunity to do good things. But when the sun goes down, you lose that opportunity. And so Jesus is essentially saying to them, guys, you can stay here if you want. But I'm not going to be here very much longer. Eventually, I'm leaving this earth. And when I leave this earth, I am taking the light with me. And you're going to be back in darkness where you were before I came. So he says, you need to come with me. And you need to learn everything you can while I am with me. If you come with me to Bethany, if you follow me to Judea, Jesus is saying to them, you are about to see something you have never seen before. I am about to show you something. I'm about to teach you something you will never learn in any other way. Jesus is saying to them, this is an opportunity that when you see this, it is gonna amp up your faith like nothing else and you'll look back on this moment once I'm gone and you'll understand that nothing, 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 absolutely nothing is impossible with God. So while you still have the opportunity, get up off your rear ends. That's my version, Larry. Eggers calls it the North Iowa version, the NIV. (laughs) Get off your rear ends and follow me to Judea. Jesus is saying, I know you're afraid. I know you're concerned about what's going to happen, what's to follow. But if you stay here, you're going to miss the opportunity of a lifetime because I'm about to give you light that is going to serve you the rest of your lives. When I leave this earth, when I leave this planet, that light is going out. The opportunity to see what I want to show you is now, so let's go to Judea. Verse 11 continues, after he said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. 
Again, the disciples, they don't want to go to Bethany for fear of the Jews, so now they kind of turn to dispensing medical advice to Jesus. Look, Jesus, if Lazarus is sleeping, that's a good thing. I mean, he probably needs his rest. We don't want to disturb him. Sleeping would be good for him. Again, we'll go and see him after he's all better. Verse 13, Jesus had been speaking of his death, Lazarus' death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So Jesus told them bluntly, Lazarus is dead, and then adds insult to injury and says, and for your sake, I am glad I was not there. Can you imagine the disciples' reaction to Jesus's? I mean, it just sounds so insensitive, doesn't it? He's going to die, and I'm glad I'm not there. Wait a minute, Jesus. I, I thought you loved Lazarus. I mean, you knew he was going to die, and Jesus is like, yeah. You knew he was going to die, and you purposely did not go there? Yes. Okay, Jesus, what is it that could be so important for us to learn that you would allow the one you love to die? I mean, this is, this is drama. This is high-stakes drama. Verse 14 continues, so Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead and for your sakes, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. Ah, that's what you're up to, Jesus. But let us go to him. And again, the disciples are thinking at this point, Jesus, is it so important to you that we believe in you, that you're willing to allow someone to die in order to bring to us full, grown up, mature faith in you. Yeah, Jesus says, it's that important to me. Again, folks, if that's true, this is a new category, isn't it? This wrecks some of our theologies, doesn't it? Jesus purposely, by design, allows a situation to unfold so that we could understand what God is doing when God doesn't do what we think God ought to be doing. Verse 16, then Thomas, also known as Didymus, I could almost kind of say, almost known as Eeyore. You know, if you can kind of maybe kind of hear uh, the, 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 the whine maybe in this statement. It says to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. I mean, not very inspirational. Verse 17, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Again, I, I want you just to stop here. And I want you to understand the drama, what is unfolding there at Bethany. I'm sure, I, I'm, I'm, I'm positive, as Lazarus is lying there dying, Mary and Martha, they're around his bedside. They're kind of wiping the sweat from his brow. They're doing all that they can do to tend and to care for Lazarus as he's dying. And I'm sure they're saying to him, don't worry, brother. We sent for Jesus. You don't have to worry. Jesus is on the way. We got word to Jesus. The messenger came back, said the message was delivered. He saw the disciples. Jesus is coming. He's going to be here anytime." He's going to heal you, Lazarus. This is going to be okay. Mary, go out on the road. Watch for Jesus. Tell our neighbors Jesus is coming. They don't need to worry. 
We've seen Jesus heal strangers. We have seen Jesus heal Gentiles. We have seen him heal people who were part of the Roman Empire. He loves us. He stays with us whenever he is in town. We have absolute, complete faith and trust. Jesus will be here, and when he gets here, he's going to heal you. And they waited, and they waited, and they waited. The community watched and waited, and Lazarus dies, and there's no Jesus. I'm sure right after Lazarus dies, Mary and Martha, are, are, are they've kind of switched gears, and they're saying, don't, don't touch him, don't move him, leave him there. Jesus is coming. Jesus will heal him. I'm sure at this point, the funeral directors of that time are starting to come around and saying to Mary and Martha, Mary and Martha, we've got to bury your brother by sundown. It's the law. It's the customs. We can't wait much longer. And Mary and Martha are like, no, no, don't touch him. We can't take him away. We can't bury him. We know Jesus is coming. We sent message to Jesus. We know he got the message. He loves us. He'll be here. We just got to have faith. So they kept waiting and waiting and watching for Jesus to no avail. At some point, they do as they always did when people died. They wrapped him in a cloth. They placed him in the tomb. They rolled the stone in front of the tomb, and they began the process of mourning and grieving the death of Lazarus. No sight of Jesus anywhere. Isn't that where we live sometimes? Isn't that that inattentive, uncooperative, absent, late, I thought you cared about me, I thought you loved me, God? Again, I, I don't know any other way to look at this. Jesus purposely, by design, allowed this situation to unfold the way it did because he wants us to learn something about him and our heavenly father that we couldn't learn any other way. Verse 17, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had been dead in the tomb for four days. Now, four days is important, okay? In the first century, they believed the spirit of a person hovered over the dead body for three days. And when the face would begin to change and the body would begin to change because of what happens whenever a body lays exposed to light and exposed to air, as the face begins to change, they believe for three days that the spirit would just hover and see if there's an opportunity to re-inhabit the body. After three days the spirit would leave because there would be no hope. The spirit would look at the body and realize, I cannot inhabit this body. It's been three days and would leave. This is what they believed. So Jesus, four days later, in other words, there is no hope. Even in their superstitious way of thinking, there was no hope for Lazarus. He'd already been in the tomb for four days. Can you imagine? Again, the drama as this is all unfolding, how embarrassing it was for the disciples to follow Jesus into Bethany as everyone is just staring and looking and, 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 and thinking, well, finally, 
took you long enough, Jesus. Oh, oh, look who finally decides to show up four days later. You didn't rescue the one Jesus you claimed to love. You didn't even show up for the funeral. Lazarus has been in the tomb now for four days, and you finally decide to show up. How disgraceful. Verse 20, so when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed home. Now let me ask you something, and we're just guessing here. Why do you think Mary stayed home? Lazarus is dead and buried. Why wouldn't Mary rush out to see Jesus? What do you think she's feeling? Is she mad? Frustrated, hurt, disappointed, let down? You gotta wonder. I mean, what do you do with all those emotions? Jesus, you could have, you should have. I would have, and you didn't. I thought you loved us. I've seen you heal strangers. You love Romans. You love Gentiles more than your own people. So Martha ran out. When she saw Jesus, and Martha got there, she just fell at Jesus' feet. And in verse 21, she says what you and I would have said if we were in her shoes. She says, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. In other words, if you had been here, if you'd heard our prayer, if you really loved us like you say you do, if you really cared, if you'd have shown up, this would not have happened. In a sense, she's saying this is your fault. This is your doing. Verse 22, she goes on, Martha says, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And listen to Jesus' response in verse 23. It says, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And this is that moment where people try to comfort you and they'll say things like, he's at a better place, she's at a better place, you'll see her again sometime. So Martha kind of just thinks Jesus is launching into this theological explanation like, don't worry, be happy, you'll see him again sometime. Martha's like, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. I know we'll see him again in heaven, but you still should have been here. <laughs> then Jesus looks her in the eye, and this is so dramatic. Jesus looks her in the eye, and he says something only a crazy, insane person or the Son of God would say. Jesus says to her in verse 25 what he also says to you and me, I am the resurrection and the life. Martha, Martha, Martha. You thought the resurrection is an event and it is. Martha, you think the resurrection is about the future and it is. But Martha, I'm here to tell you the resurrection is more about a person than an event and in the future. Martha, I am resurrection and I am life. Who would say that to a woman who just lost her brother to death? Jesus did. 
Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And then he asked her a question that I think he asked each one of us. He asked a question that will mean different things to different ones of us at different stages of our lives. Jesus asked a question that is usually easy to answer when you were six years old, 12 years old. A question that gets a little bit more difficult to answer when you're 22 or you're 35 or you're about to bury someone you love or you're watching someone you love suffer or you just went through the most difficult period of your life, Jesus looks her in the eye and asks this question in verse 26, do you believe this? Do you believe this, Martha, with everything you've just experienced, knowing I could have kept this from happening? Do you still trust me? Do you still believe I am who you thought I was, even though I have not acted like you thought I would act based on who you thought I was? Do you believe this? Again, try to put yourself in Martha's shoes. Think of everything she's experiencing, all of the emotions, the raw emotion, the frustration, the disappointment, the disillusionment, the lost hope. Do you believe this? And again, we we can sit here. We have the luxury of just being totally detached from this. And we can say, yes, I believe. But you know what? It's a whole different situation when you're in the midst of it when it's someone we love. Verse 27, yes, Lord, Martha told him, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. And interesting, she really doesn't even really speak to Jesus' statement in verse 25 about him being the resurrection and the life. Lazarus is dead. And here Jesus is saying, everyone who believes in him will never die, but Lazarus is dead. And I'm sure Martha's very confused, so she just professes faith in Jesus being the Messiah, the Son of God. Martha runs back and says, Mary, you gotta gotta come see the master before he gets into town. So Mary runs out there, and and I'm not gonna go through it all, but she has basically the same identical question with Jesus that Martha did. Why didn't you get here? You could have stopped this, Jesus. In verse 37, the Jews who accompanied Mary, they made a similar comment. They said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? In other words, again, you could have prevented this. Why didn't you do something about this? Verse 38, Jesus once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, Martha said, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been in there for four days. Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, that is, if you trust me, if you'll place your hope, your weight on me, you will see the glory of God. We opened with that song this morning. Let the glory of the Lord rise among us. Do you want to see the glory of the Lord? This is the question that he puts to her. You're about to. Do you want to see it? So Jesus, this whole drama, this whole thing is about the glory of God. All we wanted you to do was heal Lazarus. 
This whole thing is about whether or not we believe. This whole thing is about whether or not we can trust you when that thing that we think should be changed doesn't get changed. This is what the whole thing is about. In other words, you let your friend die so we would learn something about the power and the glory of God. Verse 41, so they took away the stone. Jesus looked up and said, I love this part. I know we're almost out of time. But let me tell you what he says before I read you the prayer. Jesus basically says a prayer that goes something like this. God, you and I know what's going on. We know what is about to happen. They don't. So I want them to see me talking to you. So when this happens, they don't go, oh, Jesus, they're going to go, oh, God, because this is really about you, and I am just here to reflect you, and I'm about to reflect you in a huge way, aren't I? So here we go. Have they all seen me praying? They have. Okay, let's get on with this. I love this. And listen to how Jesus prayed. Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you have always, I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here that they may believe that you sent me. See, this is all about Jesus doing something so the people see God. And here's what we're thinking. You're telling us it was worth all the drama, the pain, the emotions for people to understand your connection with God and to learn something about God. You, Jesus, think all of this was worth that. And Jesus is like, yes, I think all of this was worth that. And when he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, because I'm sure they're all just standing there, freaked out. Jesus says to them, get over there, take off the grave clothes, and let him go. Verse 45, therefore many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did put their faith in him. Oh, I bet they did. I would, you would. I bet everybody in town put their faith in Jesus. Everybody in the vicinity and the story, it just spreads like wildfire. Jesus just didn't heal somebody and raise somebody from the dead who may have been asleep. Oh, we thought he was dead, but he was really just asleep. Oh, we thought he was just unconscious. Oh, he could have just passed out and, and we couldn't find his pulse. No, 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 no. This guy's been dead and in the grave for four days. There is nothing, nothing, nothing. He can't do nothing, and no one is beyond his reach. So I'm just going to end with this question. Do you realize who's got a hold of your hand? Do you realize who's holding you in the palm of his hand? Do you realize who is in your corner fighting for you? Who's for you? 
You ever taken time just to stop and look at him? He's beautiful. He, he's amazing. He's the rock of ages. He is glorious in splendor. He is the bread of life. He is the good shepherd who will lay down his life for his sheep. He is the one for whom there is no beginning. There is no end. He doesn't know the meaning of the word impossible. He's the river of life. He is the yes and amen to every promise of God. And I don't know why. I don't know why. God does some things. He does the way he does them. But when I know who he is and that nothing is impossible with him, if I'll just maintain my focus on him, if I'll just continue to trust in him, you know what? The why doesn't seem as important as long as I'm connecting with the who. Amen? We're out of time. Let's stand. There may be some of you here this morning and you just kind of feel like you're in that place of impossibility. It just doesn't seem like there's any way out of this. There doesn't seem any way through this. Do you want to see the glory of God explode in your situation? You're about to. Because nothing is impossible with him. If we'll just put our faith, if we'll just put our trust, if we'll just keep our focus, if we'll just keep our eyes on him. I mean, none of you, as far as I can tell, are in any worse situation than Lazarus was. I mean, if you've been dead and in the tomb for four days, raise your hand. <laughs> do you realize if God can do something there in that situation, <laughs> he's more than able to do something in your situation. Now, so you think it's impossible, but God just showed you one of the most impossible things and then said, see, that's what I can do. So that God can say, see, I can do something with this. I can work in this. Do you trust me? Do you believe in me? That's the question. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you the Lord, you took a story that was impossible and made it possible. And God, only you can do that. And so God, I pray for people here this morning that may kind of feel like Lazarus. They're not dead. They've not been in the tomb for four days, but still in spite of it all, they just feel like what I'm dealing with, what I'm going through, my struggle, my situation, it just feels impossible. Yet, God, you're here to show them that it is possible. And that, God, you want to move and you want to reveal your glory. You want to reveal your power. So, Father, this morning, we just uh, take this moment, God, and we just look to you. And, God, we just ask, Lord, that you would just come and begin to move 
Move in sickness this morning. Move in disease. God, move in broken relationships. Move in broken marriages. Father, whatever situations feel broken or moved, Father, we release the kingdom of God into those places this morning. And we ask, God, that you would begin to move and to bring life. And we thank you because of Lazarus, God. We know you will, you can. And we believe this. And we believe in you. And we believe in the one you sent. Your son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Praise Community Church, including gathering times and events, please visit us at praisecc.org.